Mark chapter 14, I got all that, okay. Mark chapter 14, we're down now to verse 10, and we're going to be picking up here with uh, Judas Iscariot. And uh, verse 10, and Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed, uh, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? Mark just instantly, two verses to Judas, and on he goes. However, I get, Mark, right to the point. But in making that point, not a lot of unnecessary information, yet he just said a tremendous amount on Judas in those two verses. And it, we will obviously take some time here to see this because the Lord Jesus Christ, his presence up until this point now, has revealed the devotion, heart, the devoted heart of Mary. What did she just do? She, she broke the, the, the um, alabaster box, the, the spike nerd. She just anointed him and everything. So she just... He just exposed, revealed the devotion in the heart of Mary with, with the ointment and with the oil there in verses 3 to 9 we saw last time. But he also reveals the treachery of the heart of Judas Iscariot. And uh, again, it's going to revolve around money, which is what we saw last time. If you remember, if you look back at John 12, John chapter 12. And again, John's going to expound, give a little more detail, a little more narrative than Mark does. Uh, in, in, back up there in, in Mark 14, verse 3, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon, Simeon the leper, as he sat in meat, there came a woman. Well, we obviously know that from John 12. That's Mary having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And, and we saw that, verse 4. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it, had, it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And again, last time we saw in Mark 14, it's some, okay? So there's backlash here. They murmur against her. They kind of get on her case. And the some here, and the some really started with a he. They have a leader, and that's really John 12, as we were in this last time, verse 3, John 12, verse 3, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given for the, to the poor. And again, the one, the he. So what does she do? She takes this very valuable treasure, 300 pence. Uh, it, it, in the handbooks and all, they indicate it's, a, it's a, at least a year's wage. Okay, so it's her bank account, her savings account. She goes, she purchases. She's ar she already has it. So there's the indication of the little flock and the dedication of those that love him, value him, and she's already decided to do this. 
She didn't say, hang on, Martha, hang on, Lazarus, let me go down here and buy it. She already has it. Then in verse 4, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, and the he, here's the leader of that small group, the sum in Mark 14, okay? And what do they do? Well, you could have sold it and given money to the poor, given it to the poor. And again, anytime you hear anybody, politicians or the religious sector, and they start talking about taking money and giving it to the poor, really what they're talking about is taking your money and giving it to the poor, never themselves, okay? If you're going to help the poor, don't give them money. Do something for them, okay? Don't just, you know, all talk, no action. That's their case here. And again, Judas, verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. So again, he's a thief. It's all about money. Money, 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 money. Money, you know, money tickles the parson. And that's, it's money. And, it's, and it, he's a thief. He, the bag. He held the treasury for the guys. He was the tre. So he's always there. And we looked last time, 1 Timothy 6, about the, root, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And we looked at that issue about the love of is that issue of covetousness. Colossians says covetousness is idolatry. So really, in the, in the religious realm here, in the religious setting, even Paul in 1 Timothy 6, it's a religious setting where the religious leaders are, are they think gain is godliness. And Paul says, no, godly, godliness with contentment is great gain. So you've got this, and yet Judas here, Judas, if, if, if you're going to need to stick something in Mark 14. But go back to Mark 14, and you can let John go for the moment because we're going to do some comparing back and forth here because Judas, he's, he takes what Mary does, and, and he's grumbling about it, and, and he, and he, he in, infests the others. He gets them going. And they're murmuring, they're complaining in, in Mark 14. They're, they're not happy with her. And, and really what's going to be, what we're going to see here is we're going to see that Satan has already begun to work in Judas. And Judas becomes the source of the uprising. And he becomes the, when the backlash against the devotion of Mary starts, that's why the Lord steps in and says, Verse 8, she hath done what she could. She has come afore, um, aforehand to anoint my body in the burying. And then in the end of verse 9, th this activity is to be spoken for as a memorial. Why? It showed her dedication. So he's, he reveals the heart of devotion, but he also reveals the heart of treachery and the heart of some of the other apostles. And again, as we Go forward in Mark 14. We're going to see those other guys pop up again, and we'll see that. But verse 10, what does Judas do? Well, he, Judas, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So Judas goes to make a deal. And the, they were glad to hear it because what have they been trying to do? Back up in verse 2. 
They said, not on the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. They've been trying to figure out how to, the end of verse 1 there, catch him and kill him without an uproar of the people. Judas has come in, he's devised a plan, and he's went and sold it. Now, if you hold on to Mark and you come over to Matthew 26, because this is how Matthew is going to say this. And it's interesting how Judas, <laughs> he understands how to get around Jerusalem. All right? Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priest. And that issue of went to him. So Judas, a man of Judah, is what his, that Iscariot is a man from Kerioth. So he's a, he's a man of Judah. If you, he's Judah, a man of Kerioth. So he's the only one of the 12 that's from the southern tier, the southern kingdom. The other 11 are from Galilee, the northern kingdom. They, would have not, they have no idea how to get around Jerusalem. Now, this is going to be important here in a little bit. They need GPS. They need a map. They need help. Not Judas. Now, Kerioth is outside of Jerusalem. It isn't in Jerusalem proper. And yet, what can he do? He can work. He works his way in. He's familiar with how to get around Jerusalem. So where does he go, verse 14? He goes right to the chief priest. He knows where they're at. He knows, he knows the whole bit. Verse 15. And, and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted, uh, I'm sorry, covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. You know what he does? What is he worth to you? What are you going to give me? So he goes right into the religious leaders, says, let's, let's negotiate this out. Let's covenant this out. Let's make a contract here. Let's, he's entering into a contract for 30 pieces of silver. So Judas here, he's coming in, and he, again, he, he knows his way around. He comes over. Uh, come back to Exodus 21, this thing about the 30 pieces of silver. Exodus 21, and he knows, he's, he's, he, he's well aware that the men that he's talking to are rabbinical scholars of the Old Testament. In other words, they know God's word. They know, the, it doesn't mean they believe it, all right? They know it. Most of the theologians today can quote the Bible backwards and forwards all day long, don't know what it means. That's why Paul will say, he'll say, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. They have no clue about the charity part. They think they do, but they don't. But then he'll, he'll, he makes that, Paul makes that comment in, uh, oh, I just had it. Man, this has been a rough day. He, he talks about them being uh, teachers of the law. Yeah, 1 Timothy 1. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. In other words, they're teaching the law, but they have no clue what it's talking about, and they have no clue of the impact it's having on the listener. They just are what? They got their robes and their six-figure income. That's all. That, that, 
But what are we? We're Bible scholars. We're not like the heathen. We're over, you know, that ivory tower mentality. Judas knows that. So what do they agree on? 30 pieces of silver. That isn't going to be lost here. Look at Exodus 21 and look at verse 32. If the ox shall push a manservant or maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Now, think about that. If someone's animal kills or hurts a servant, what's to happen? The animal's to be put down, and 30 pieces of silver go to the, the harmed party. So what they're negotiating over the Lord Jesus, for the Lord Jesus Christ with Judah, with Judah, with Judas, sorry, Judah, Judas, is there literally, what is the Lord worth? He's worth nothing more than a lowly servant. That's all he's worth. That's all we're going to give you for. They come to value the Lord on the price of a slave, of a manservant or a maidservant. Now, doctrinally, looking back now because of understanding right division and so forth, what we see is we see that servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, laying down his life for who? For you, a what? A slave of sin. See, So we, we get a bigger picture here. But the price of the sacrifice is 30 pieces of silver. Now, come over to Zechariah chapter 11. So this isn't lost on Judas, nor is it lost on the chief priest, because they don't have any value in him at all. They see no value. So what are they going to do? We're just going to negotiate. How cheap can we get this guy to deliver him? Well, we all know what 30 pieces of silver represents, so let's go there. And Judas, is, he's on it, okay? Uh, Zechariah 11. By the way, these guys are fulfilling prophecy concerning the Messiah and the cross. They don't even know it. They know the verses. They know Zechariah 11. They probably could tell you more about Zechariah 11 than I will ever get to tell you. They just don't know what it meant, what it means, and understand. Look at 11.11. And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. That is a fulfillment of Matthew 26, Matthew 27. Okay? There's the fulfillment. Now watch verse 13. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it under the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. All right? Now hold on to Zechariah 11. And go back with me over to Matthew 27. Because watch, this is exactly what they're going to do, or what they did. All right? Or they're going to do. Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, 
repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. (laughs) Think about that. What does that mean to us? Get out of here. Go on. We've fulfilled the contract. You've been paid. Hit the door. See? Now watch verse 5. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, the house of the Lord, Zechariah 11, and departed and went and hanged himself. So what did he do? Well, Zechariah 11.13 says what? Hold on to Matthew now. Cast it unto the potter in the house of the Lord, the 30 pieces of silver. What it, it's blood money. If you look there at Matthew 27, and if you look at verse 6, and the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for you for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. Notice, here they are murdering an innocent man and they're still more worried about being ceremonially correct. Well, the law says we can't do Forget we're killing the guy without proper anything. We're going to do it under the cover of night. We're going to do it, you know, bad, not even the way their normal, the law says to do it. And yet, what are they? Well, we just can't put this back in the treasury. It's the blood money. So what are we going to do? Verse 7, and they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in, whereof that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Notice what they did. They did exactly what Zechariah 11:13 said. They went out and they got the potter. They cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. That's what happened. Now watch verse 9. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, all right, here's what Zechariah 11 says. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Everything, by the way, you see how that verse says that was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, you cannot find that in Jeremiah. Zechariah records it, and Matthew, the Lord says, who said that was Jeremiah, not Zechariah. You follow that, okay? We have that a lot. If you go to the book of Jude, you see Enoch preaching. Enoch, in the days of Noah, well, when you go back to the days of Noah, he's not there. But So how do we know that? Remoter context, remoter text, remoter information, later and we can stick it back in. So don't let somebody say, oh, see, you got a mistake, because what happens is, is they read Schofield's note, and he says the allusion is to Jeremiah 18, 1 to 4, 19, 1 to 3, but more distinctly to Zechariah 11, 12 and 13. So now what do we do? Now we got to go look at Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah, and, it, and by the way, that is not in Jeremiah 18 or 19. It's where? Zechariah 11. But who said it? Jeremiah did, Zechariah wrote it down, okay? Now, where are you? Matthew, go back to Zechariah 11. Zechariah 11, let Matthew go for the moment. So when we begin to look at the events here, 
uh, around the cross, coming out of Mark 14, we begin to see that all of the Old Testament scriptures concerning the cross and the event and the activities, they're going to be completely fulfilled. And they're going to be carried out and fulfilled by people who don't realize what they're doing. Okay? The chief priest, when they go and make the deal, when Judas makes the deal, they know Zechariah 11. They just don't have any clue that they're fulfilling it out. Okay? Zechariah 11, look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. So in the context of the 30 pieces of silver, throwing at the potter's feet, Judas going and hanging himself. Judas, by the way, is one of the... Eight, there's 18 major types of the Antichrist in Scripture. Judas is one of them. In that same context, talking about Judas, now in verse 15, 16, and 17, we're going to introduce the Antichrist. Is going to be brought in. Here's the man of sin, the, the foolish shepherd. Verse 16, For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, neither heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. He shall eat the flesh of fat and tear their claws and pieces. That's exactly the career of the Antichrist. That is exactly what he's going to do. Verse 17, Woe to the idol, I-D-O-L, shepherd, that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. And that's a reference to the assassination of the Antichrist happens in the midst of the week and so forth. So all of this here is brought to, together. It's here because it's all a part of the satanic attack and the attempt to destroy Israel and to destroy what God's planned to do with Israel. And it's all going to go, and it all starts right in here. It, not start. It's all coming to a culmination in Mark 14. Now, come back to Luke 22 and verse 10 with Judas, Luke 22. And what is he doing? He's in making a deal. And he's making a deal for the silver, the 30 pieces of silver, that redemption that redemption money, he's making a deal for it. And he went in. He went right in. He, does, he knows where to go. He knows how to navigate it. He knows what he's after. And it's only after the fact that he, you know, has a change of heart, if you will. And it's too late. Uh, Luke 22, verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. By the way, the Passover, the 14th day of, of Nisan here in the New Testament, Abib in the Old Testament, our April, if you will. And so you got the 14th, that's Passover, and the 15th through the 21st is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Sometimes that whole time is called Passover. Sometimes that whole time, 14 to 20, is called Unleavened Bread. So you got to pay attention a little bit. Just know that those are get used interchangeably. In this, and the chief priest, verse two, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Now, so watch here carefully. 
What, who do they fear? They fear the people. They don't fear any retribution, any, oh, no, we're breaking commandment number eight. None of that. Eight, I think it's eight anyway. None of that. They're not worried about it. They're just fearing the people. So, and then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Notice when Satan enters into Judas. All right, now watch the next verse. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. Notice carefully, Satan is already in Judas, but Judas decided to do what? To go to the chief priests, to go in. So back in Mark 14, 10, see that Mark 14 is real quick, two verses. But yet all of this detail around it. So he, verse 4, he, that's Judas, went his way, verse 5, and they were glad and covenanted uh, to give him money, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. So what did they do? They were glad. They made the contract for 30 pieces of silver, and Judas went about to figure out how to get him, how to betray him. But the first step in this is Judah, Judas walking in his way, verse 4. All right? So Satan is there. Satan's going to enter into Judas, and then Judas is going to decide, I'm going to go, by the way, what, what and, and he went his way. What's his way? Money. Covetous, a power, control, covetousness. So Satan entered into Judas, and again, how does he enter him? Ju Judas isn't listening to God's word. Judas is worried about who? Himself, flesh, selfishness, pride. He's worried about nothing. He, he, he is into satisfying his flesh. Now, hold Luke 22 and come to John 13, okay? Because you'll see the progression here of, Ju of Satan entering into Judas. John 13. The first, the first step, if you will, is by him going his way. He's going, he gets out of God's word, and he's only thinking about himself. By the way, Abraham and Lot, when they separated, Genesis 13 to 19:20, right in there, it was a three-step process in Lot ending up in Sodom. Step number one, do you remember what Lot did? He looked and saw the plains, and that's what started it. Now, the adversary is going to use the desires of your flesh to do what? Draw you away. He's going to take the opportunity, and it worked. It, that's what Judas is doing here. Judas is looking for money, 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 and covet power, control, and he got him. Uh, John 13, if you look at verse 2, and, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. We're in the upper room here, and which will be here in a little bit in Mark 14. 
And here, Satan, he puts it where? In his heart. Now, how do you put something in somebody's heart? How do you put it in your heart? With the heart, man does what? Believe. And that's the point. When Judas has made the choice, made the decision to do that, it's, he believed it to be the right course of action, so now you, it's, it's uh, irreversible. It can't be stopped. He's on his way. Now, hold on to John 13 and go back to Luke 22. Luke 22. Come across the page to verse 22. Verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. And there's Acts 2, the foreknowledge of God. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. It was determined. By the way, Mark says it was written. Judas has already made the decision. It's a done deal. John 13, verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that that thou doest, do quickly. So n notice John 13, 2, the devil did what? He put it into his heart, and then in verse 27, he entered into him. So Luke 22, 22, it was determined. You see, so here you have the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he, he's being delivered up. But what did he say in Luke 22, 22? Woe unto the man that does this. So that the, the determinate counsel of God is on, the, is on the page, on the table. But so is the free will of a man to go and to do, to participate or not to participate. By the way, also so is the adversary. See, they all are making choices here. All that is working behind the scenes when you come back now to Mark 14. All that's going on. So what, what you have here, when Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest, he just didn't say, oh, hey, I think I'm going to go do this. He had decided, made the choice, made the, but he's doing it, and it's happening because he's not where he's supposed to be in, in, the, in the word uh, of God and the moment. He, sh he should have recognized what was happening. He doesn't. So what does he do? He's making a plan. Goes in, gets the 30 pieces, contracts out, and then he's going to, in verse 11, and at the end of the verse, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Matthew says opportunity. How do we do it out away from the multitude, Luke John there says. When the people aren't around, so there's no trouble. So what does he divide? Well, he's going to, well, he said he's going to go in the garden. We're going to go under the cover of night. I'll just go up and give a little kiss on the cheek, and it's done. And all of that's what's going on here. And the Lord here, he, he's, he, he's just, what in the, you know, off you go. So you have the first supper. Where are we at? We're at Simon's house. We've got Lazarus, Mary, Martha, the whole group is there. He's the guest of honor, okay? 
now, verse 12, now we're moving to the upper room. And now we're moving to the, the second supper, if you will, the next supper. And the, this one, this, he's going to be the host. And here's how he's prepared the, 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 for the Passover. He desires to eat the Passover with them. So he's set the stage. 14 verse 12. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover. And again, you can use that. The the first day of unleavened bread is the 14th. Why? That's when they kill the Passover. And then it works its way out. What do we have? Well, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go, you into the, go ye into the city, and there shall you, meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. Now, this is going to get really weird, okay, as we go through the, the details. Uh, hold, hold on to Mark 14. Run over here to Luke 22. So you're, you're going to get, he, he, he's, uh, because in Luke 22, if you look at verse 8, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. So in Mark 14, 13, when he says he sent forth two of his, it's Peter and John. Now go back to Mark 14. So Peter and John, he sends them into the city. The city is Jerusalem. And again, Peter and John, they don't know Jerusalem. Okay, they need a map. They need a, you know, Google Maps. They don't have that. But what's in, what's really weird here is he just says, "Go walk around until you find this guy carrying a pitcher of water." And when you find him, then go follow him. <laughs> and it's like that's very vague. That's weird. But it really isn't. Because in scripture, whose job was it to carry the pitcher of waters, usually? The women. It's the women at the well feeding and the animals. It's the women that, now, that was in, okay, so don't yell at me for, oh, you don't like women. No. What's weird about this is who are they looking for? They're looking for a guy that's not doing the normal thing here. He's an oddity, see. How, how does he know they're going to find him? He, well, all of the all these people are trying to kill him. He knows his hour is come. And he knows he, he goes in and he says, Go find this guy. And when you find kind of an odd thing here, that's the guy, go follow him. So actually when we get down here, we'll see that the Lord's already prepared the upper room to be usable and so forth. But he knows. That there, that there's a, that the issues are here. <laughs> he he knows it is. So, it's kind of like Christ on the cross. He speaks seven times, and each of the seven times, is fulfilling Old Testament scripture. But that one that he says, "I thirst," and you go, "Well, yeah, okay, he's thirsty. He's been through a lot." But when he says, "I thirst," In John 19, it's actually to fulfill Psalm 69, because they go get the vinegar and so forth. 
So he knows what's going on. He, under, he knows the steps. He knows the, the Old Testament scripture. He knows that they're trying to kill him. He knows that all of that. And so he goes see the guy carrying the water. Here's a man doing a job that would call attention to himself. So it would be what? Really odd. And when you see him, follow him. So Peter and John, first they got to go find the guy. Actually, you know what they have to do? They got to trust the instructions from the Lord. They have to trust the word, see. And they do, verse 14. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber which I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? Now, that's very interesting. When you follow the guy, when you get to the house where he goes in, knock on the door, get the owner of the house, and say what? The master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? So we have a, obviously, the owner of the house knows who the master is. Because what's he going to do? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for a... See, obviously the Lord has already prearranged this, okay? But obviously, what do we have in Jerusalem right now? We have an underground church. We have an underground little flock members, believers. They, it's dangerous to be associated with Jesus of Nazareth. They're trying to kill the man. So who else are they getting? They're rounding up every, they're going to start to round up everybody else, i.e. Saul and so, Tar, Saul of Tarsus and so forth. The point is, is the, there are people who have heard, they've seen, they know who the Lord is, they've seen what he did, but they just don't make a big deal out of it. Okay? But they what? They believe who he is. And the Lord knows them. You, 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 you remember the guys in John 12, and they're the Pharisees, and they won't acknowledge him because they fear the loss of... That's kind of the idea. They know who... They, there's a group of people who are, who, who, who are underground, little flock members, believing remnant, and, and so what do they do? He says, listen, you look for the guy doing the odd jobs, carrying a water pitcher. You follow him, and you say to this guy, the master is ready, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to have this great chamber. <laughs> You're going to come into this, this, up, this guest chamber, you know. So you're going to find an underground believer, and Peter, Peter and John don't know who this guy is. They're looking for what? A man carrying a water pitcher. They don't, hey, Bob, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, missed you, man. No, not at all. They have no clue. By the way, there is no Bob in the room. Just, okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the Internet people are just wonderful. Who's Bob? <laughs> what about Bob? I don't know. <laughs> you know? So, who, they... What Christ is trying, Christ is trying to accomplish something here. He's secretively, we got to eat, I want to eat, I desire to eat the Passover with you. Secretively, to keep the adversaries at bay, not only Satan, but all of the religious 
cohorts. So he pre privately and previously set up the meeting room. Verse 15, he will show you a large upper room. So here's the great upper room. Acts 1, the 120, they're in the upper room. That's, this is where this comes from. Furnished and prepared. There make ready to eat. So you guys go. This is who you're looking for. He's going to take you over here. You're going to say to the owner, the master's ready, and he'll show you all it is. Verse 16, and his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. They go, they make it ready, and they're ready to eat. Verse 17, and in the evening he came with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you. So they're sitting, they're eating the Passover. By the way, the Lord's Supper, you know, that, that's coming, everybody. That's, at, that's not the Passover meal that's done later. It's done after the fact. We'll get down into all that next time. But you've got to catch what's happening. What's, here's Judas. we got boom, boom. And in, within the backdrop of all these people trying to, trying to navigate and conspire to kill him, he has set up secretively over here to eat the Passover. Why? I desire to eat the Passover with you. So we have that issue here at hand. Now, there's some timing here that you need to be at least familiar with because this stuff begins to cause consternation amongst some of the, of the of the of of believers today. Notice verse 12. The first day of unleavened bread when they kill the Passover. So you go back to Exodus 12. What's the first day? It's the 14th day. Okay, what are they to do? By the way, the Jewish time schedule is 6 p.m. night, daytime to 6 p.m. night, day, 6 p.m., the 15th through the 21st runs the unleavened bread. You with? Okay? So, what are they to do? Ten, tenth day of the month, they pull that lamb out, and they watch him, and then what do they do in the nighttime? They get ready, they prepare, and then, in the, and boom, kill him. Okay? So, you got to pay attention to the terminology here very carefully because what happens is, is then they say, well, what was he killed on the 14th or the 15th? Or, you know, what? And then you get the, the Roman Catholic sympathizing Protestants that say he was killed on Friday because we've got to have a good Friday. But Matthew 12 kills that because it doesn't, he says, three days and three nights, so you, got no, you don't have enough time. For, sun, for the first day of the week for the resurrection. Well, then you go back and you say, well, it was Wednesday because of the 72-hour time, and now you got too much time. So if it wasn't Friday and Wednesday, when was it? Thursday, okay? And that works out. But come back to Matthew 12, because you have to pay attention to how, what the Scripture actually says, rather than tradition 
of a want or not or against. In Genesis 1, remember, an evening and a morning makes the day. That's how they count time, 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. But notice in Matthew 12, verse 40, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay? First of all, that is not his body. That's his what? His soul. Okay? His body went where? When, when you die, where does your body go? In the grave. Where do you go? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. What did he do? He, what did he say to the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me where? In paradise. So when he died, okay, and he goes down here into paradise, Abraham's bosom, that isn't his body. We're going to bury his body up here. It's what? It's his soul. He's a man. He, he's, uh, you know, he's the God man. He's got a soul. He's here, see. So first of all, that's three days and three nights. By the way, notice how he, he flipped it. He said three days. One day, two day. Here's, this will be the 16th. Night and a day. So one day, two day, three day up. One night, one night, one night, you know, and up he goes. I don't think I have enough days. One, two, three. It should be the night there. This will be. And up he goes. All right? You'll have to, we'll get more into that part when he dies, when we get over to him actually dying, okay? My point is, is all of this activity. Come back over with me to, uh, come to John 18. You have to be very careful. Look at John 18 with how the verses read. Because the tendency is to have all of this tradition flow in and then you actually, again, Matthew 12 kills it. We need three days and we need three nights. Do you remember when he's hanging... By the way, he dies here. He dies on Passover, okay? Remember, it's the ninth hour, John 18, verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment, and it was early. See that? And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but they, but that they might eat the you see, they haven't eaten the Passover yet. They eat the Passover here. 18 is over there in the night, in the early mornings. They have those watches, six to nine is even. And, and so we looked at that, I think, briefly in Mark. Uh, uh, in Mark uh, uh, 13, even runs 6 to 9 p.m., midnight 9 to 12 a.m., cock crowing is 12 to 3, the morning is 3 to 6 a.m. Remember the Lord, the ninth hour, the sixth hour, all of that timing. But what I want you to see here is in John 18, 28, when they have, they haven't killed him yet. See, they're still on the trial. They're in the prepara preparation and the priest won't go into the judgment hall. Why? Because that Gentile hall will defile us, and we want to eat the Passover. When do they eat the Passover? During the daytime. 
come uh, chapter 19 of John and verse 14. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Where are we? The prepping is over here in the nighttime. So the upper room, the garden events, the betrayal, the trial, the scourging, all happen in the night. Then he's delivered to be crucified during the daylight. Remember, the sun darkens and all. all the, so when you begin to look at this, what my point is, is you have to be very careful. A lot of stuff happens in the night of the preparation of the Passover. They prepare it. And then what happens is, is again, people, they just, they don't read their Bible. Actually, what they do is they read stuff into it. They say, well, he had to be, he was crucified on the 15th, okay, which would be Friday in this case because of where we're at with the Holy Sabbaths and the Holy of Holy Days and so forth, okay? Again, we'll get over there. The Sabbath, what day of the week is the Sabbath? Saturday, okay? So Saturday was a Sabbath day. Then remember they had a holy day and a holy of holy, okay? So there's a lot of things going, because remember they had to get him off the cross before they eat the Passover and all that good stuff. See, all of that's going on here. So you take Saturday and you got to go back, you know, you just you have to pay attention to what you're doing, I guess. Because what they say then is, see, he had, he had to eat Passover with the disciples, so he couldn't be here, he had to be there, because he has to eat here. That's what they say. You get, a, you get a feeling there's a problem with that, right? Come back to Numbers, and let me show you. Numbers, chapter 9. Numbers, chapter 9. If I haven't confused you yet about this, don't worry. You're not alone. I'll get you more confused in a couple chap in a chapter or two here. <laughs> because what happens is, is this is what theology does to muddy the water. They just muddy it up so that you can't say, so you just have to say, okay, tradition, that's what we're going to do. And that's not the case at all. Your scriptures allow you to know perfectly when he was crucified. Numbers 9. Got Numbers 9? All right. Numbers 9. Look, I'm looking for my note. There it is. Verse 6. Okay, actually, yeah, 9-6. And there were certain men. Uh, so, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season. 
in the 14th day of this month at even, at even. Okay, so 6 p.m., beginning of the day, beginning of the 14th. Ye shall keep it in his appointed season according to all the rites of it, according to the, all the ceremonies thereof, ye shall keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the 14th day of the first month at even in wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. All right, so we're good. We're Exodus 12 over there, 13. What do they do? They take the lamb, they watch it, they prepare it. They're to stand there with their staff ready to go, and they're eating with one hand, you know, no forks, no knives. They're slobbering it down. They have to eat it all, and if they don't eat it all, they've got to burn it all up. All right, that's what they're doing. Now watch verse 6. And there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man that they could not keep the Passover on that day. All right, so what's the condition? Defiled. They can't keep the Passover, so they come to Moses. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back that we may not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel? And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Now, look, notice what's happening, because this is a picture of what's going on in the Gospels. We're defiled by the dead body of a man. We can't eat Passover when we're supposed to, the 14th of the, first of the month of the first of the year. Okay? So the Lord says, verse 10, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity, what's that? Descendants, all right? Be unclean by reason of a dead body, or be in a journey afar off, yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord, the fourteenth day of the, what month? Second month. At even they shall keep it and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs and off they go. By the way, verse 14, And if a stranger shall sojourn among you, and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according, and so forth. You know. So there is a provision in the law that you don't have to always eat the Passover on the 14th. You can eat it at another time when you're defiled by what? A dead body. Or you're on a journey afar off, and you're not in the right place. Now, what's going to happen to the Savior here in a couple hours? He's going to be a dead body. See, so, him, so when you come back in this, so him eating over here in the upper room is not a violation of it. See, you follow that? So that he can be killed as the Passover lamb. And that's really what he's after when we come back to Mark 14. So when Jesus says, I desire to eat the Passover with you, he wanted to eat with them not to celebrate the Passover, okay? Because he was going to take his death and attach it to the fulfillment of Passover. You follow that? See, he's doing something. 
again, the theologians and the wannabes have no, they're over here. And he's like, dude, that's not what I'm talking about. The issue isn't eating a lamb and bitter herbs and all this. The issue is, is I'm going to take my death, burial, and resurrection and attach it to the fulfillment of Passover. In other words, I am the Passover lamb. If you go back there to Mark 14, we'll see this when we get down. That's why in verse 22 and following, he institutes the, what is called the, last, the Lord's Supper. Take the bread, break it, this is my body, this is my blood. Why? Because he's issue, he's, he, the issue is the doctrine that he's attaching to it, which is the new covenant, the blood of the new covenant. See, he's not doing this to say, okay, we've got to do this on the 14th or else we're all dead. No, he's like, I'm eating with you the night before because I'm attaching my death, burial, and resurrection to this, to the fulfillment of. And that's really the issue. Okay? So before he died, Mark, before he died, there's a bunch of people who want to kill him. All right? They don't want to be defiled. They're wanting to be able to eat the meat, eat the Passover. So they're going to nail him beforehand. And yet, what does he say? I'm going to be, you know, this is what's really the issue, guys, is I am the Passover. That's why Paul will come back later and say, Christ, who is our Passover? See, Paul says that. The Lord is saying it as well, okay? By the way, the three days and the three nights, in Luke 24, the two guys on the road, you remember what they say there? It's, it, 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 th this is the third uh, and besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. That's Sunday afternoon, still daylight day, okay? So don't kind of get all wompy out. When we get over into the death, burial, and resurrection uh, over in chapter 15, then we'll work out a little bit more of that a little more clearly. My point here is, is the first day of preparation. We're here. See, all of this that we're reading about is happening in the night on the 14th. That tells you how quickly the religious circles move. They wake Pilate up, you know, grumpy up, get grumpy up, let's go, we got to figure this out. Then here, and then off he goes, okay? Now, this isn't the uh, scale, if you will, but I just need you to see on that 14th, that day, the beginning, in the evening time, when it starts, I mean, it starts there in the upper room. That's where it starts. In the upper room, what do they have? They're having the Passover. He's instituting the, that, the, the, the blood of the new covenant to them. He's teaching them doctrine. He's getting them established, ready. The next thing he does in John 17, he does the Father, uh, the, his prayer to the Father, and they go off into the garden. Now, we don't have a lot of that here in Mark. Actually, we have verse 17, the Passover, verse 21, 22, we have take, break it and give it, and here's my body, here's my blood. Verse 26, we've got Peter's denial. Verse 32, he's in the garden. And, you know, and uh, verse 35 is his first prayer, 39 is his second prayer, 41 is his third prayer. Then you've got verse 43, the betrayal and the arrest. And then in verse 47, you got Peter going head hunting. 
Then in verse uh, 66, you've got Peter denying the Lord. Chapter 15, he, he's before Pilate. Uh, they, don't want Bar- they don't want Jesus. Give us Barab- uh, um, Barabbas. Then, then they, in, in 15, 16, now they're going to they're gonna crown him with that thorn of crown, crown of thorns. You got Rufus. And then in verse 24, he's crucified. See, we're, Mark's moving. You know, Matthew's got two and a half chapters. Luke's got two, two and a half chapters. John's got two chapters. So it's like Mark just a chapter and a half, and, and we're done, see. And in chapter 16, we have the resurrection. So this stuff is happening quickly, but that first evening on the 14th, at 6 p.m. when the 14th starts, boom, this stuff just, and it's going to roll. There's no, when, the, when Peter denies the Lord those three times by cock crowing, so that's midnight to three, right in that time period, that, that, there isn't a, no, I don't know him. Well, maybe, let's check your Facebook. Uh, see, you know him. You know, it isn't any of that. It's boom, boom, boom. And that dear lady says, your speech doth betray you. We know you're from the north. <laughs> you sound like a Yankee. You know, you don't sound like you're from the south. And and that's what's going on. But Mark 14 here, the evening of the 14th night, that's when all this is going to start. And that, that's really what I want you to catch at right now. This isn't something that's drawn out. It's ongoing. And again, the Numbers passage does indicate that you can eat Passover prior to or after with with the circumstances, okay? Okay, that was a little longer than I thought, but I hope you get the idea here because sometimes in all of this, especially around Easter and Resurrection, everybody gets a yakking about it. And, and honestly, your scripture has said it so that you can know. We know the date, the 14th, and we know the month, Abib, Nisan, our April. That's when the Passover died. We don't need any of the other discussion except to prove that our, our doctrinal statement is right and yours is wrong. Nah, 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 nah. You know, now we're not even studying. Now we're over here looking at other things. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and to look into it and to see the events around the how that Christ died for our sins and the criticalness of understanding really what's going on in the passages and in the text concerning the death of our Savior. In your name we pray, amen.